2: Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Bill Landis joined by Ari Wasserman as the Buckeyes are still shut down. Uh, Football activities have been paused since Friday. There is hope, though, that they could play on Saturday at Michigan State. We'll get into some of that. We'll talk uh, at length about Ohio State's situation with the playoff and also uh, a little bit about a coach that you might be familiar with, Urban Meyer, and the possibility, the likelihood What we think about maybe him taking the Texas job, should the Texas job open. Before we get into any of that, urgent reminder, you can sign up for The Athletic for $1 a month for 12 months. Huge deal. Deal of the year. Theathletic.com slash 4-6 gets you signed up. That deal runs through this Friday, December 4th. So if you're listening to this and you're not an Athletic subscriber and you've been thinking about subscribing, theathletic.com slash 4-6 right now gets you signed up for $1 per month. For twelve months, and you can read every single word that Ari Wasserman writes. You know what?
1: A dollar uh, a month for the Athletic, and a dollar for a four-piece chicken nugget is fast-track to heaven, right there.
2: Have they have they done the partnership with Wendy's yet? The four for four deal, where you get a nugget, a, a fry, a frosty, and an Athletic subscription.
1: Yeah, the, the five 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 deal.
2: <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, I who there. wouldn't? Like they just
1: yeah, it's sitting there. You go out there, you get a double stack, you get a quick nug. Uh, maybe a little frosty and a fry, and they hand out a little card with your promo code to type into The Athletic, and you get a month.
2: I'm I'm not in the marketing department, but I, it seems like a layup to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all over that. All right, let's talk about where Ohio State is and where it might be going. Uh, over the weekend, Gene Smith, the team physician, Dr. Jim Borchers, and head coach Ryan Day had a Zoom call with uh, some of us media folk, where they kind of laid out the situation for Ohio State, and it's a little different than what we explained to you the last time we talked to you. Uh, I believe the last time we we talked to you guys, we said, or I said, that Gene Smith had told me that Ohio State was shut down for seven days. That is not the case, Um, at least not yet. Uh, There is hope that they can practice Midweek I think is best case scenario, end of the week I think is still a situation that gets them on the field on Saturday against Michigan State, but they have to go through more rounds of testing before any of that becomes a possibility, Then that's going to happen over the next day or two uh, as they see just just how bad the situation is. The the one thing they did say is that their population positivity rate, and it's one of the metrics the Big Ten uses to decide whether or not it's going to cancel a game, is over 7.5% now. There are two different numbers they use to the trigger a shutdown. Ohio State did not reach the threshold for an automatic shutdown, but they decided to the shut down anyway because there are double-digit positive test results within the program. We don't know the breakdown player staff coaches, but double digits is what they did uh, admit, and, and they did also reveal that Ryan Day was one of them. So, all right, I guess I'll start with this. Were you surprised that this decision to not play was made by Ohio State and not something that was forced upon them by the Big Ten And why do you think maybe Ohio State made that decision when it had an opponent that was ready to play on Saturday in Illinois in a season where hardly any game is guaranteed?
1: Yeah, I I was surprised. Uh, I guess surprise might not be the right word, Bill, in this crazy world of of COVID right now. And, you know, you can never take anything as a surprise when it comes to the health and, you know, well-being of your team. And, you know, of course, how quickly things can change. I mean, we saw with the Clemson game against Florida State that a game can get canceled when you're already in town. So I don't know if surprise is the right word. I think it's an interesting dynamic um, in terms of what's hopeful and what was hopeless at a certain point, because on Friday or over the weekend when we did our last podcast kind of breaking down where things stood with this program, it didn't seem like they had a shot in hell to play the Michigan State game. So now the fact that, you know, the Gene Smith and, well, and the fellows over there were talking about potentially uh, – being able to play that Michigan State game, I think it gives Ohio State hope to avoid uh, disaster, which would be potentially missing out on another game, finishing with five or six wins, and and being in no man's land, not only for the Big Ten championship game, uh, but also for the playoffs. So as we're sitting here right now, there's still nothing guaranteed about the fact that the Michigan State game is going to be played. We don't know exactly what an outbreak is or what could happen as a result of it as testing continues. But the fact that they are in a position right now where if things go well and there's reason to hope that things can go well, that they don't need very much time to prepare for this Michigan State team. I think two practices, one full contact, maybe one walkthrough, they're ready to play. Um, And you put yourself in a position to throw a team out there that I think Could be missing a lot of guys and still beat Michigan State and put yourself in a position mathematically to exceed the protocols to play in the Big Ten championship game. And I think that there is a strong urgency to want to play. So I don't know that I was surprised, Bill, but I think that the news from over the weekend from Gene Smith... Uh, was certainly a reason to be positive or to be hopeful that Ohio State can avoid a complete disaster here and not play enough games to be considered for the goals that that they have out there for themselves.
2: This is sort of my read on the situation, Um, and part of this was laid out on on the call we had on Saturday morning. On, On Wednesday, they had an uptick in positives. They altered their plan. They made meetings virtual. Um, They basically stopped contact in practice. They basically did walkthroughs for three days. And over the course of those three days, Monday, Thursday, Friday, the positives kept going up a little bit to the point where on Friday, they crossed that population positivity threshold, didn't have to stop, but they chose to stop anyway. And, And I think the idea was, like, they clearly didn't have their arms around just how widespread this might be in the program and the idea of putting guys on a plane to go to Illinois I think almost guaranteed that it was going to become worse before it became better and by not putting them on a plane by sort of isolating going home keeping everybody separate and doing further testing over the next couple days you at least gave yourself a chance to play against Michigan State and and Michigan down the line and then whatever that game is on December 19th in the in the big 10 championship weekend so I think all that makes sense um whether or not they it's going to work out the way they hope it does is, is another thing, and I think it'd be foolish of anybody to kind of predict where this is going to go from here because we've seen you know this week how unpredictable it can be. Minnesota's up to 40 positive cases, and and that was a program last week that I think was reporting like 12 to 15, and it's you know almost tripled um, in that time. So it, it gets away from you fast. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here with Ohio State, but I would just I think it's okay to be optimistic because I think Ohio State's thought process makes sense, but you know, thought process doesn't guarantee you anything in this. And it could be very well that you know, midweek we hear from them that like we can't play this week against Michigan State, and then we'll assess from there what that might mean from them. But but I do think it gives them a chance. Um, you and I both said when we recorded on Saturday morning that we didn't think they were going to play Michigan State. Um, maybe this is an unfair question, but like, what's your level of optimism that they actually are going to be able to play on Saturday?
1: I was at close to zero over the weekend uh, before Gene Smith spoke. And now I'm at maybe 70% that they will. Um, You know, I I don't know. I mean, how do you put a percentage on whether or not the virus is going to spread to a debilitating rate? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's the fact that they they identified it early. um, Usually if there's a major, major outbreak, at least from the trends that we've seen around the sport, there's more of an indication of that sooner than later. Um, even though that might sound kind of dumb because you never know how long it takes for these tests to pop back positive and, you know, all that stuff. But, like, the fact that they're, what, five days now removed or four days removed from the initial um, diagnosis of of Ryan Day and what's going on over there that they're still hope to play, I think is an encouraging sign. I don't think they're out of the woods yet. But I also know, too, that as long as they maintain – a level under the threshold for what the Big Ten wants you to play a game, I think Ohio State's going to do everything in their power to play the game, which kind of changes the percentage in my mind a little bit because we know they're highly motivated. Um, And I don't know that they necessarily need their all-stars out there to potentially win this football game. It might be tough if they missed a week and people were quarantining and they do walkthroughs they haven't been hitting. I'm not saying it might be pretty, but this is a unique situation right now, Bill, where this team only needs to win by one. They don't need to win by 50. They don't need to win by 30. We don't have to worry about whether the defense gave up too many big plays. I think they field what they can field. They put the game out there. They win the football game. They put the number in the win column and in the game total column, and they move on. So I I, I don't know if there's a fairness or a way to project this. I just know that they're highly motivated to do so, and if they have been separated And they're quarantining the positives that are happening. Ryan Day has been separated. The only thing that you can do is, A, hope that it didn't spread faster than this virus is is clearly capable of spreading. And, B, that Ohio State's motivated enough to want to play this football game. And I kind of like the idea of don't play the Illinois game. Don't force it. Don't travel there the day of. Because the second I saw that, I I thought it was over. Put yourself in a position where you can mitigate the risk of the potential spread and get this thing back afloat so that you can play your last two games and potentially qualify for the Big Ten championship game. So right now, the way things have played out, I think, is it's tough. Um, it's it's definitely discouraging for sports fans, for Ohio State fans, and, of course, the people's health that are involved with this. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that this is a sunken ship. I just I think that they're kind of in a position if they can somehow field a team for the Michigan State game to put themselves in a position to, to get enough games to, to compete for what they want to compete for.
2: Yeah, they're, so it's... The two thresholds for the Big Ten are are test positivity rate, which is positive results divided by total tests administered and population positivity rate, which is number of positive people divided by the people in your population, which is 170 for Ohio State. It's a rolling seven-day average. Like It's not even worth trying to guess how close we're going to come to that. I I just think the point of the discussion is if they manage to stay under those two numbers, 5% and 7.5%, which I think would require substantial luck, um, I believe, I agree with you, they're going to try to play, sort of regardless of what their roster looks like. That's the thing with the Big Ten. Like, There's no minimum required scholarship players available like there is in some other leagues. Now, if they have a position group wiped out, obviously you can't play. I have no reason to believe that that's the case with Ohio State yet, um, but certainly that could happen by the time we get to midweek. But as long as they have the adequate number of players available at all the positions and are under those thresholds i think they put whatever team they can put out on the field on saturday against michigan state i agree with you 100% because it's not it's 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 the big 10 championship it's what's ahead of them too but i also think that ohio state is one of the teams that that fought really hard to try to play this year and i think if they have an opportunity to do it they're not going to they're not going to let it go you know, by the wayside. I think they're going to try to play and, and finish this season out and get to six regular season games, play the seventh game in the championship weekend and, and see what happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, it, it's uh, certainly a dynamic that we didn't uh, anticipate would happen, but maybe you should have anticipated it because of just the craziness of this year, Bill. And, you know, I think it's an interesting dynamic, too, because it's like how many scholarship players would Ohio State have to be down For you to think that they could lose to Michigan State, because I think that the number would be pretty high for me. Um, I think that Ohio State's in a pretty good position right now to get a get a football game uh, under their belt and put themselves, hopefully for their sakes, in a position to play the Michigan game the following week. So the fact that the scary part is that the people who are positive are of a 21 day window, and the contact tracing is 14, which puts you right on the Michigan game. So I think that right now you know, it's two different conversations. One conversation is, can this team play enough games to be considered for the Big Ten championship game? And then, of course, we'll bleed this into the playoff discussion here in a little bit. But then also, do you have um, a team that is healthy and available long-term to actually win the games they need to win? Because there's two separate discussions here. And I think right now, Ohio State, as a, a team losing 20 or, you know, at worst, 25 scholarship players could still beat the next two games on their schedule. But there's a major discussion right now in terms of style points, uh, in terms of, you know, resume, in terms of everything, in terms of getting into this this playoff. And now you're talking about a hobbled team that, you know, might be down some pretty crucial elements. So I think it's an interesting dynamic as somebody who follows gambling lines and results in accordance to those lines fairly closely. We've seen teams like Wisconsin, for instance, who was missing 20 guys come out and beat the crap out of Michigan a few weeks ago. You know, I don't think that losing scholarship players, though though certainly a bad look, is going to cause you to lose a football game you, you shouldn't lose, but you know, there's a lot of what-ifs here, and there's a lot of things that can make this thing go off the rails, and there's really no guarantee that it's all going to go according to plan, and I guess the only thing that Ohio State can do right now is separate people, be as safe as you can, um, continue to test, hope for low results, and, and do the best that you can by taking it one day at a time, because projecting uh, Out how, how many people are gonna get this, what the percentages are going to be what the odds of them playing are it seems like a really tough thing to do because we're all kind of at the mercy of how this virus wants to spread and behave
2: yeah so we'll we'll get to the playoff stuff in in a second and like the implications of this but I, I think I I do want to say um, just because I'm worried that what I said before might have come off the wrong way i don't I don't think Ohio State is going to be reckless in this and and clearly the decision they made like if they would have tried to go to Illinois and play I think that would have been a reckless decision based off what they knew at the time and and they didn't do that so i think that should be informative moving forward like they want to play if it doesn't make sense for them to play based on how many players they have or based on how specific position groups are impacted, they're not going to play. I don't think they're going to force the issue. Um, because even if they don't play this week, there's still stuff at play for them. They can still play Michigan in three weeks. They can still play that championship weekend game. And I think even if they're 6-0, they can still get to the playoff. We can talk about that. But I just wanted to mention that. Like Ohio State and, and Jim Borchers, a doctor, said this. Like He said the design of the protocols is not to put teams in a position where it's go play at all costs. I think every team is expected to be – measured in in how they approach this, and I think Ohio State was with what it did last week in canceling the Illinois game, and I think it will be moving forward with whatever data they get this week. The data will drive the decisions, not the desire to play football at all costs. I don't think that's what will drive the decision.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because we're in the same world now where the Denver Broncos played a football game without a quarterback, you know, and it's just an interesting dynamic of how far down the rabbit hole would a college football program like Ohio State go Um, in order to qualify for the Big Ten championship game because it is two separate sides of the coin. One, you want to be as highly motivated as possible and field any possible team that you can to get to that threshold. But on the other hand, too, you don't want to be reckless in terms of not only the health of of the players and the staff, but also just throwing out a team that isn't able to function based on who's out. And I think we're getting a little bit down the rabbit hole a little bit um, in terms of where this thing can go. But... It is kind of an interesting dynamic between NFL team playing note without a quarterback and the guy threw for like what 20 yards and they lost to you know a college football program that needs to play a certain amount of games every bit as much as they need to win them like in that like if it's the, the data is not supposed to be or it's supposed to be a data driven thing and you're supposed to do this based on what's best for the for the for the kids and the, and the staff. But on the other hand, too, like Ohio State's in a pretty desperate place to just add games to their schedule. And I don't know if those two things kind of work uh, harm, harmoniously together. I think that, they're, that the way that the rules are set up makes you want to play a game, even if it's probably not right to do. So I think Ohio State could, af- could afford to not play the Illinois game and hope based on the resources and the protocols that they have within their program to get this under control before it turns into a two- or three-week thing. But at the same time, too, I would say that Ohio State's probably pretty desperate to figure out a way to play this game against Michigan State.
2: Yeah, I think they are, too, um, for a lot of reasons. And, you know, I, I, it's it's not really in their control, I think. It's it's just a matter of, of how bad this is going to get. And like I said, it's going to require some luck on, on their part. And, and maybe they'll get it and they'll be on the field on Saturday. We'll, we'll see. Um, there are – I feel like there are two conversations at hand with the Big Ten championship. And, the, like, there's the minimum game requirement, and if they lose one more game, they're below it. I actually think that rule will probably change. Um, Gene Smith said there had not been discussions about it. He wasn't particularly worried about it. He was worried about the health and safety of the players and coaches, which I think is the right way to go about it. Um, But at some point, the conversation has to happen. And when it does, and the league is staring at the possibility of having two second-place teams play for the Big Ten championship instead of the two teams that finish atop each division, um, I I believe that they'll change that rule because it never really made sense to begin with. But the, the two questions at hand are, Should they change it because teams just deserve to get that opportunity to play for a trophy at the end of December and hold up that silver football and declare themselves rightful Big Ten champions? And I think the answer is yes. But the other question is, like, does it matter in the case of Ohio State? Does Ohio State need a Big Ten championship to get to the playoff?
1: Those are two very different questions. So let's just start with the first one. I I think that what's interesting is they put – these kids wanted to play. Let's put it that way. I mean, and, and if you didn't want to play, you had the ability to to opt out. But they did want to play. The coaches wanted to coach. They were all in this position. But also, that doesn't mean that they didn't put themselves at risk. And college football and the infrastructure of the sport put these athletes who are not compensated at risk to play this game. And if you want to play the game, the big discussion that we had, Bill, in the offseason when we weren't sure there was going to be a season was if you do play, you have to play for something. That's the whole point of the sport. It's the reason why people fill stadiums or used to fill stadiums and, and are, are listening to this podcast. And I don't know what the design or the reason for the rule was to you know, play a certain amount of games um, to be in the Big Ten Championship game, but if the team that they're going to send instead of Ohio State because they didn't get the Illinois game in is a team that Ohio State was beating 35-7 to and is clearly better than, even if they showed some defensive deficiencies in that game, it seems kind of unauthentic both to Indiana um, in this hypothetical situation who would be playing for a Big Ten championship and, and B, for Ohio State who not only risked their health to play this game but also succumbed to the risks of it because of what we're talking about right now. So I don't know if I were an Indiana football player. Um, you know, it's been a, a wonderful story and that program is in the top 15 of the college football playoff rankings, but do you feel good about yourself holding up a trophy? You know that people are going to be like, what the hell, afterward? And, you know, as we bleed into the second part, Bill, I think it's possible after Northwestern lost on Saturday that Ohio State's resume would be better if they had to play Wisconsin at the end of the year in the second place game as they would if they beat Northwestern in a hypothetical Big Ten championship. So in terms of whether or not they have to win the Big Ten to get into the playoff, I think the answer to that question is no. But what I do think is that being an undefeated Big Ten champ, regardless of what the form that takes, how many games it takes to play, or what the path to that is, I think is a clean way for the committee just to put them in without really thinking about it. I think if they don't play in the Big Ten championship game, or they only have five or six games under their belt when this is all done with, then you put yourself in a position where your your resume is scrutinized, um, your your position as a team in terms of how you looked and even wins is scrutinized. And you can't continue just to be one of the four best teams in, in the country based on preconceived notions of what this team was supposed to be before the season started. Because as you know, you can poke holes into this team. They're already starting it. When Ohio State ranked number four in the playoff ranking last week, it's already started. So if you put yourself in a position where you start to have to compare yourself to teams like Florida and Texas A&M who have played certain amount of games against a, a tougher opponents, because Ohio State has played a bunch of, of, pardon my French, garbage outside of Indiana, you're putting yourself in a position and opening the door to scrutinizing their resume. And Ohio State, as an undefeated Big Ten champ, never even has to worry about resume. So the fact that you have to like make that part of the discussion makes it, to me, important that Ohio State wins the Big Ten so that there isn't a debate about it.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
2: On that subject, uh, some news that broke as as you were talking, uh, Indiana quarterback Michael Penix is out for the rest of the season. So Indiana has three more games left to play without its quarterback, already has one loss. Uh, the situation we're looking at should Ohio state not be able to play and the rule stays in place is an Indiana team now that might have multiple losses playing in the big 10 championship ahead of Ohio state, um, Indiana plays Wisconsin and Purdue before big 10 championship weekend. And lots to do so without Michael Penix who played really well against Ohio state looked not as good against Maryland over the weekend, but they still won that game. Um, so it just further complicates matters. I'll be very curious if that's, this is anything that pushes the, the big 10 even more to consider changing that rule. Um, but it's messy. Um,
1: yeah, that, that is such an interesting discussion because not only are you putting yourself in a position now to, to go by rankings and total games um, and records, but now you are putting yourself in a spot where do you want to send a team without their best player uh, potentially, and, and maybe Indiana loses a game because of this uh, that they shouldn't lose. So in a situation where you have to figure this out, I think that the right call, and I think the the decision that Big Ten is probably going to arrive at eventually, is send the two teams that are clearly the champions and I don't know how you determine that but if Ohio State is undefeated and they didn't play Illinois which is a crossover game and they had the tiebreaker against you know Indiana having won it like what would have had to happen I mean it's pretty obvious and I don't know if that's how the sport works but you have to come up with a way to not to to, the Big Ten wants the legitimate Big Ten champion too you know so there's got to be some motivation here in terms of doing the right thing and I I don't know if that's going to happen, I think that you said that you think it will. Um, but Ohio State is in a bigger discussion right now, in my opinion, about whether or not they can reach the playoff as a six- or seven-win team without a Big Ten championship game than they are worried about winning the conference championship. I think those are two separate things, and the second thing is far more important than the first. I just don't know if the first thing is a prereq to get into the second thing.
2: I don't think it's a prereq, um, but it, it, like it benefits the Big Ten to have a team in the playoff for sure and the f- like the idea that they would handcuff themselves with this rule that didn't make any sense in the first place like is silly and what was the in- reason for the rule to begin with i don't know i have no idea i guess like to that, avoid to me, that i rule- guess to avoid having a team that was like 2 and 0 in the big 10 championship
1: yeah i mean cuz to me the only thing that, that does is make people motivated to play a game they should not yeah. It puts you in a position to want to force it when the whole idea of this is to not force it.
2: That's a good point. That's a really good point. Like Ohio, Ohio
1: State now is motivated to play this Michigan State game, and depending on if they're on the cusp of, uh, I'm not sure we should play, but we can, the way they were against Illinois, they might not be as motivated to cancel it as they were. Not, I'm not implying that Ohio State would do the wrong thing overtly, but if there's a coin flip or a decision to be made, and you need the game to comp- to compete or to be qualified for the Big Ten championship game, it does kind of go into your mind a little bit mm-hmm. about how you would proceed in terms of the safe way to do this. So to me, I think it's an encouraging way to get people to do things they shouldn't do, which I think is negative
2: in this situation. All right, I have a question for you as it pertains to the playoff. Um, let's just assume that Ohio State does get to play on Saturday against Michigan State, and it does play against Michigan in two weeks. Whatever that happens, like the team that's on the field is not going to be Ohio State at full strength, whether that's because of positive test or contact tracing. Like there's going to be guys out. And I think some of those guys would be back for the Big Ten Championship. So that's like that's like their last opportunity um, as a fully functioning Ohio State team. But for the next two weeks, assuming they play, it's not going to be the Ohio State that the committee had been evaluating through its first four games. Does it give you any concern that – the Ohio State in its first four games as, as a whole entity did not look as dominant, I guess, as we thought they would be, especially on defense. Now the next two weeks are like almost even, aren't even worth evaluating as long as they win. And then they get back on the field, presumably on December 19th, as its fully realized version again. And like say they find themselves in a conversation, do you think that might matter? Is there enough proof of concept with what we thought this Ohio State team would be for them to win a discussion in the committee room if they find themselves in that position?
1: Yeah, I, I think that the power of not losing is important, but I think the power of quality wins is most important. And Ohio State's in a weird position right now because we know that the committee values those quality wins probably more so than they do penalizing teams who've lost, right? And if you look at the teams that Ohio State has played and beaten this year, I think they've only beaten one that's over 500, right? Like, Indiana's 5-1, and one, but they beat Nebraska. They're 1-4. Um, they didn't play Maryland. They beat Rutgers 2-4, and four, and they beat Penn State, who's 1-5. So, like, add that up. That's a lot of nothing. And, you know, I, I think that if Ohio State is an unbeaten team that has seven wins at the end of the year, common sense is probably going to prevail. But the the question here, Bill, is if you look at the rankings, does the committee do what it usually does, and just pick the team that they think are the four best and then rationalize after why they did it? Or are they going to really scrutinize their resume? Because I think that Ohio State came into the season, and for the last two years, even dating back to last year and then coming into this year, people just assumed that Ohio State was one of the four best teams. And that was a preconceived notion. And I think that at times the committee members share the same notions that we share. And I don't know how far that you can take that with Ohio State uh, when they have had some pretty lackadaisical wins. And I think you kind of take that into account in a year where things are just kind of odd from a COVID standpoint. You take it, uh, there's no spring, all the things that happen. But if you go down the list here, let's just say Alabama wins out there no matter what, Clemson and Notre Dame split. Clemson wins the next one. Then you've got three spots. So then you have basically those three would be in because I think Notre Dame would get in if they lost to Clemson in the ACC championship game, having beaten them already this year, especially if it's a close game. Mm -hmm. Then you're putting Ohio State in conversations with teams like Texas A&M. I think Florida would be out in that scenario unless they beat Alabama. So if you give Florida two losses, that's fine. Um, Northwestern is now out. Uh, Georgia is out. Uh, Miami is no longer in the equation if it goes that way Oklahoma's got two losses and their chances of a quality win I guess against Iowa State to put themselves in a position is out Indiana's out who gets in over them and that that's the thing that I like are we going to compare Ohio State to two loss Florida and they're going to put three or are they going to put two SEC teams in where Florida's uh loss was Texas A&M and Alabama and the Texas A&M loss was a weird fumble at the end of the game that happened because they played more games I think that's the discussion that you have to have because the, le- the less amount of games that you play uh, the less is the likelihood of weird things happening that turn into losses and I'm not saying that Illinois would beat Ohio State or Michigan State or even Maryland would have but every single time Ohio State didn't take the field they avoided a potential upset that could have happened the way that it happened with with Florida and Florida has a much better schedule so I think right now what we're, who are we comparing Ohio State to? Are we comparing them to A&M? If they went out and they don't play in the big SEC championship game, they're a one-loss team, that got blown out by Bama? Like, who gets that spot over Ohio State? That's, like, where I'm struggling right now. Because even if they're 6-0 and they beat Wisconsin, I think from a resume standpoint, you could say that Ohio State beating a full-speed Wisconsin is a much better resume bullet point than beating the Northwestern team that was kind of exposed at Michigan State on Saturday. So from, yeah. a, from a resume standpoint, I think it's possible that you could say Ohio State's in a better position right now to get a quality win that it might need to put it in that it wouldn't have gotten if they ended up playing a one-loss Northwestern team. As dumb as that is, because Northwestern beat Wisconsin, I think Wisconsin might be viewed more favorably than Northwestern by the end of the year.
2: Yeah, yeah I think so too. I, I truly think it. what it comes down to is will Florida beat Alabama in the SEC championship? And if that happens, then I think Ohio State might have a problem. And if it doesn't happen, I think Ohio State's in. Do you think – okay, let's go down that road. If Ohio State
1: doesn't play in the Big Ten championship game, they, play, they don't play Michigan State, so let's just make the worst-case scenario. Ohio State beats Michigan and then beats Wisconsin in the second-place Big Ten game, which I think would yeah, be the worst-case scenario for Ohio State outside of losing mm-hmm. um, as a result of COVID. Florida runs the table, beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. I still think that it's possible that Alabama gets in over Ohio State. Maybe likely.
2: I think it's likely. I think Alabama is in as long as it doesn't lose twice.
1: Yeah. And it's like in a normal year, a team that loses once usually wouldn't get in over a team that's undefeated. But this is a different year because of total quantity of games. Mm -hmm. But let's say that happens, and then Clemson beats Notre Dame by 12 in the ACC championship game. Is Ohio State out? in your mind, or is Ohio State the, the team that gets in over Notre Dame at four?
2: Uh, it depends on what the 12 looks like, I guess. Um, like you, I, think, I think in that scenario you get really into the nitty-gritty of like what that Clemson-Notre Dame game looked like. If, like. if it was like Clemson was up by 20 and Notre Dame scored a late touchdown to make a 12, then maybe. A competitive like game Dame- that
1: Clemson took, took control of in the fourth quarter.
2: If it's a competitive game the entire way and Notre Dame loses by fewer than two touchdowns, I think that puts them in a really tough spot. Um, I would probably pick Ohio State because I think Ohio State's better than Notre Dame. Um, but based off the resume, I think the committee might pick Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, and it gets back down to the same thing that we always talk about, Bill. Quality wins versus losses. And maybe losses are less of a uh, a hit on you uh, during a year where... Um, you played more games than your opponents? Because when you all play 12 games, then a loss is a loss on, on each schedule. Mm-hmm. But what's the difference between 9-1 and one and 6-0? and oh? And, you know, I guess maybe my take is always penalize the teams who lose because, like, even if you get down to a situation, because I, I was listening to podcasts over the weekend where they were comparing Ohio State at 6-0 and oh to Florida having lost to Bama. And it's like Florida looks better – But yeah, but Florida, but here's the thing that they, the point that I heard. Florida goes one and two uh, down the stretch, but they're, 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 they have two losses. I'm sorry. And one loss is to Alabama and one is a freak loss to Texas A&M. Based on the initial scenario that you just said, um, Florida puts itself in a position where the Alabama loss would be excused. Because everybody who loses to Alabama, that's not a thing, especially if it's a competitive game. And then the only remaining loss on Florida's schedule would be a Texas A&M loss where they won the game, basically, but fumbled it late. Or a weird freak thing happened at the end of that football game that caused them to lose. And the reason why they lost that game is because they ended up playing it. Like, if that game would have been canceled, then Florida might have a better resume. Then I wonder if the committee is going to think a two-loss team that played in the toughest conference in the world um, who has quality wins and looked great against Alabama because we've seen the committee reward teams for having close losses to Bama. Um, and then their one loss outside of it was to the top five team in AM and they lost at the end of the game because they exposed themselves for having played more games. I think you can like talk yourself into anything. It's just a matter of how the committee is going to view Ohio State as an unbeaten team that was penalized, for lack of a better word, for not playing more. But like, I think if you go down the list here, Bill... Would Ohio State beat Notre Dame, yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that they would beat them. And I and I hope for Ohio State's um, benefit that the committee views it that way. Who are the four best teams? Because if you start playing the mental gymnastics of um, who played the most games or what a loss means to teams that played three games more than teams, you can drive yourself crazy. I think you can make a point depending on who your favorite team is for any, any of these scenarios. Mm-hmm. But I think Ohio State would play with Bama. I think Ohio State would beat Notre Dame. I think right now, Ohio State would play in a very close game against Clemson. And I think Ohio State would beat Texas A&M, Florida, Cincinnati, Northwestern, Georgia, Miami, Oklahoma, Iowa State, BYU, Oregon, Wisconsin, Texas, and Southern California. Like, I think to me, it's that simple. And, you know, Ohio State, I think somebody was comparing Ohio State to a one-loss A&M team who lost to Alabama and ran the table in the SEC and, and was rewarded for not having played in the SEC championship game in terms of exposure to another loss. Would Ohio State be a fifteen point favorite against AM?
2: Uh maybe. maybe? Yeah. I don't think AM is very good. A&M A&M was was very a and M was a was a
1: I think a sixteen point dog to Bama, weren't they? And, I believe that's and then the case. Bama covered? So how mm-hmm. are you gonna you can't make a case for AM. And so like the I guess the, the disaster scenario here is you as it pertains to the Ohio State's um, fear in the playoff is exactly the scenario that you played out. Florida beating Bama and Clemson beating Notre Dame. And you have four one loss teams um, who all have a claim for the playoff spot. And then you have an unbeaten Ohio State team without a conference championship game as a result for missing games of COVID.
2: Yeah. Clemson beating Notre Dame close. and And I think in that scenario, the Big Ten championship would be important because it's supposed to be it's part of the decision-making process when you're picking teams. At least it's supposed to be. And then, but they also list it as like a tiebreaker when teams are considered similar. And I think in that case, like the Big Ten championship trophy is a trump card, and Ohio State gets in, and like, there's no problem with it. But then we have to analyze Ohio State without the Big Ten championship in that scenario. I guess it becomes a little more difficult. But you have to put but yourself in a, the
1: committee's shoes, and they have to be able to sift through that as, as a weird yeah, dynamic. You course. can't just say, well, they're not champs. Uh, they're out or they're not champs, so they're, I mean, everybody who has eyes knows they're the best team in the Big Ten. Semantics in a weird rule in this disaster scenario caused them to not get to play in it, but as you're grading, it's the committee's job to pick the four best teams, so because of the semantics of this rule, does it result in a Big Ten championship? I still think that Ohio State, with a win over Wisconsin at the end of the year, is viewed very similarly as they would if they were a Big Ten champ. It's the same thing almost. It's the same course it's just what you labeled the game.
2: Can I drop another news bomb on you?
1: Oh god, what's going on over here on Monday morning?
2: 247 Sports is reporting that Michigan has paused all team activities due to presumptive positives within the program.
1: See that silence there? It's a uh, danger zone.
2: I don't know uh I don't really know what's going to happen here. Yeah, I mean everything <laughs> we just uh, said, I guess just shut it off now. I mean, I don't know like uh It's getting uh I mean, the Ohio State-Michigan game is in two weeks, and if we're going to entertain the idea that Ohio State can play this week, then I think we should entertain the idea that Ohio State-Michigan can play in two weeks. But, uh, yeah, not going real well in the Big Ten. Turns out daily testing didn't solve the problem. Who would have thought? I don't know. I think all these points about the playoff are valid. We just have to see how many games Ohio State ends up playing. Um, I think if they are 6-0, and even without a championship, they can still get in. If they're, if they're 4-0, 4-0 as they sit right now, or they're 5-0, I guess it's a different conversation. Yeah, I mean, at that but point, I think if too, they're Bill, I just think,
1: rationally speaking, like, you just have to accept the fact that it's, it's messed up. Like, yeah, I don't know, you could sit yeah. here and scream into a microphone, oh, Ohio State's so good, they should be in. And it's just like, well, they play five games, and it's just like tough luck, you know? I don't know how else to describe that.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's stop shouting about like a total unknown then, and let's move on to Urban. Shall we do that? Yeah. Is there that's anything fine. else to add? Like, is it, I feel like yeah. the more we continue to talk about the playoff, the more information gets dumped on us that makes everything we say invalid. In in 2020, let's
1: move on to something more certain, like Urban Meyer going to Texas is the perfect. That's the certainty. <laughs> like we could talk about that for 20 minutes and, and feel like nothing's going to change. Report, Urban yeah, Meyer right. offered $700 million by Texas in the middle of us talking about it. I, I think that to just put a bow on the playoff stuff, it's okay to panic. It's okay to get passionate about it. Tweet, freak out, watch the playoff show, enjoy it. But really, you know, what we've done here is we've talked about all the scenarios that could occur. But I think it's a nice lesson as we continue to talk about it, Bill, that anything can happen at any moment in this in this crazy world, and kind of yelling about scenarios of like the way things can go uh, moving forward is just kind of like, well, what's the point? I mean, it's just you kind of just take it day by day, and I think that's kind of been the mantra of the season to begin with. And and the fact that they've gotten this far, I think, is a minor miracle. And you know, you just kind of have to, you know, we're doing the best we can here, man. It's just that's <laughs> all yeah. we're doing. Yeah.
0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13.
2: Okay, Urban Meyer. Uh, our uh, colleague Bruce Feldman had a column up on Monday about. 20 sort of hot names in in the coaching carousel with the idea that Tom Herman's days at Texas might be numbered as the jumping off point Texas loses to Iowa State over the weekend it's a bad loss for Texas it feels like now they're like at best like the third best program in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma and Iowa State it's just a it's a loss with a lot of implications I think for the Longhorns and it felt like Tom Herman maybe had gotten things going in the right direction and was possibly saving himself, and then this loss happens, um, and we're back to is Tom Herman done. And the number one name on Bruce's list was Urban Meyer, who is Bruce's colleague at Fox Sports and, of course, the former head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, Do you think – I guess there's two questions. Do you believe that Texas should be interested in Urban? And I think that's an obvious answer. Do you think Urban is interested in Texas? Or would be interested in Texas?
1: I read a thing on Bloomberg this morning that the price of gold is going down uh, for the next few years, two or two to three percent, which is an interesting dynamic. But I do think um, if they could buy crypto, I would buy crypto because that's the currency of the future, and then throw it <laughs> at him as hard as I could. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, of course he's 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 the guy. That's the guy who, who doesn't lose Quinn Ours to Ohio who gets a new infrastructure. Uh, the guy who's proven that he can win a national championship at multiple programs. I mean, that's, it's so obvious that he's the guy that it's almost kind of a waste of time to think about as whether or not he's interested. And, like, Bruce Feldman, who put him number one on his list, works with him at Fox. And he said that Urban is completely bought into being a great uh, analyst, isn't just doing it the coast, really is enjoying the lifestyle – you know, all the things that are going, you know, for him right now, because he's living a pretty great life. Uh, But how much cryptocurrency would you need to throw at somebody where they give into their decision um, or give into their impulse of wanting to coach again? Because honestly, Bill, it's all the same stuff. Is he healthy enough? Is he motivated enough? Is he fulfilled in his new job? Um, Is his family supportive of him going again? What building another program, despite the fact that he had things rolling at Ohio State and might be in a similar position as Ohio State right now, um, to win more championships and become this Nick Saban uh, version 2.0 in terms of, you know, where he stands in the history of coaches in the sport. Like, there's so many factors. And the fact of the matter is, Bill, like, he can only, he's the only person who can answer those questions. I don't, when he left Ohio State, especially considering the fact that the 2017 recruiting class was still intact at that point. And it looked like Ohio State was set up to at least compete for a national championship at the highest level for the next two or three years. I was shocked when he left, but considering all the things that happened at Ohio State that caused that departure, between his health and the stuff that happened with Zach Smith, potentially there's a lot to, to unpack here. And the bottom line is, what does Urban Meyer want? How does he feel about coaching? How did he feel when he left about? How did he feel about coaching when he left Ohio State? Why, in all honesty, did he leave Ohio State? All these questions, uh, in general. Are, are deeper and bigger than anybody can put on, in a story because it's what's in his heart and what's in his family's heart. I would be surprised if he went based on what I know about him and based on what I know um, in terms of why he left Ohio State, what he had at Ohio State, and the life he's living now. But big checks and competing and doing something new, you know the only way that we could possibly kind of diagnose that is whether or not he wants to do it and he won't say anything about it so my gut feeling is no that's not going to happen but shit who knows man I mean I think it would be great I think a cool discussion on this podcast would be like creating an Urban Meyer Texas right now and what that would mean for Ohio State more so than trying to to, to figure out whether he actually wants to do it so I guess you could say what you think and then look like, let's just give him the job and like talk about that because I think that's awesome
2: Yeah, um, I'd be surprised if he did it, but that's like my main question about all this. Like, say he does do it. Who are his guys? Who's he bringing with him? Because it got away from him at Florida when he lost his guys and he had to hire new ones. It got away from a little bit at Ohio State when he lost his guys and he had to get new ones. And he's been in this a long time, and that list you keep keeps getting shorter and shorter as guys get jobs. Who's on the list? Who's he bringing with him? Because it's like he is a. Huge personality. He's a dynamic recruiter. He's one of the best to ever do this. But who you hire on your staff matters. I think he's proven that everywhere he's been. Yeah. Who's he bringing with and him? And I just like
1: don't know. Are those are those people on Ohio State staff? Like, is this quarterback coach Corey Dennis? Is his recruiting coordinator Mark Pantoni? Is his strength coach Mickey Marathi? Because if it is, then they might. But as we all know, those guys have some pretty nice gigs right now, and they've settled into Columbus. And I know loyalty, like. I don't know. I guess if you went to work at uh, um, the Daily Planet, I would guess I'd go with you because we're best friends. But like at a certain point, you just got to do what's best for you. And I don't know if what's best for Mark Pantone would be to go be this recruiting coordinator at Texas right now when he's like raiding Texas at Ohio State with one of the most dynamic young coaches in college football. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think if I were if I were anyone on Ohio State staff not named Corey Dennis, I wouldn't go to Texas. I'd stay at Ohio State. Corey Dennis does not have a choice. Or Irvin Meyer wants him to be his quarterback's coach. He's going the coach for his father-in-law in Austin. Um, and Ohio State can find a replacement for Corey Dennis. Um, but I think it's a, like it's fascinating, and it's like it's a shame Mickey Mirati and Mark Pantone would never discuss this hypothetical, but I don't think it's impossible that they'd go. If I were them, I wouldn't go? Because why would you sign up for but that again? why would Urban and sign up you're for you're it again? That's the Machine thing that I never already. understood. Unless he... he Because he can't give it up because Saban has more rings than him because he didn't like the way it ended at Ohio State and he wants to rewrite his legacy. Like We know he cares about that stuff.
1: Yeah. Also, he might actually like building a program better than maintaining the program.
2: I think he definitely does. One's easier than the other. It's not easy, but it's easier. I think building it is easier and more fun than maintaining it.
1: I I, I think Nick Saban's having more fun than anybody who's building any program right now.
2: Yeah, but like, let's not pretend that Nick Saban's normal. Let's not pretend Urban's normal. <laughs> he's like, he's not, he's not normal. But he's not, he's not Nick Saban. Yeah, he's not. I mean, I just like <laughs> so like he doesn't, he doesn't get to get compared I mean, to Nick Saban. He's literally the only coach I would compare Urban to. Yeah, but I still. Yeah, I mean, Ur-
1: I mean, Urban hasn't accomplished nearly as much as Saban, and from that standpoint, it is. But that was the first name that came out of your mouth when you said reasons he would go. He wants to yeah. No, I know. But wanting to beat him to be means him. Yeah. getting Ohio State to five national titles in twelve years. Not going to build six different programs, like that. Being Saban is building and maintaining, not winning.
2: I mean, if he gets two at it's two six, at I Florida, one, what's Saban has five or six? Saban has six. So Urban has three. Yeah, like six have, like, in a one LeBron place is dynasty. ridiculous. <laughs> If if he could forward three places like this. There's one thing I know for sure. It's pretty impressive. I
1: think that we would both say that Urban is a better program builder than he's a better maintainer. I mean, I I don't think he's maintained it anywhere. In fact, when when he got to the highest level at Ohio State, because I think the apex or the climax of his Ohio State tenure was 2014's national title, right? I mean, it was a little bit less than halfway through his tenure, but they made it to the top. And then it was supposed to turn into Alabama from that point. It was supposed to be Alabama in 15. They didn't get it done. 16, they returned to the playoff. They got blown out. 17 and 18, they had some weird losses. But Ohio State was supposed to be what Alabama is now from from 2014 on. And there were some questionable coaching hires. Um, He got maybe a little bit too loyal to a quarterback. You know, all the things that we all know quite well. Um, But in terms of building a program whether it's USC or Texas or any of these other places maybe even Florida State for instance who he can go down and recruit I don't know if he ever wants to recruit Florida again but he's not in the SEC and he can recruit in that I mean there are different places that I think he would excel at I think if he goes to Texas that they're in the playoff in year two or three Um, and Texas is a heck of a lot closer uh, to Oklahoma than people give them credit for. And the reason why Tom Herman might be fired at the end of this year is because they couldn't get over that hump because from being too close. So all the stuff makes sense as to why he would do it. And I do think here's one thing that I wanted to say. Urban Meyer is like a very sentimental family man. And I do think that a major motivation to do this would be to hire Corey Dennis, to have a family-like portion of his staff, to get his daughter with him again, to get his daughter's husband a better chance at excelling in the college coaching ranks. And like, I could picture, you know, Nicky Meyer, Corey Dennis, and Urban living in Austin, him being near his grandson, Shelly moving to Austin. I think Austin is kind of a similar city to to Columbus, as funny as that is to say. I think they're kind of, they've got a lot of parallels. Like, I could like picture and paint with a brush that world. Um, But again the biggest elephant in the room here is whether or not he's healthy enough to do it because we both know for a fact that Shelly was terrified that he was going to have some really bad health. You know, she was scared for his life at a certain point. And you know, that at a same at the same time, presumably that he's, you know, being healthy and, you know, living a more stress free environment um, is a huge deal in this whole thing. So desire and what to do and what is right for his health and all those things are completely different things. I think it's a no-brainer for Texas. I think it's a no-brainer for USC. I think it's a no-brainer for any program that can possibly get him. I think that it would be very interesting to watch Urban try to defend Ohio State out of Texas while building the teams. I want to be the first person who calls Quinn Ewers to talk to him about the first call that he gets from Urban. Uh, you know, it would be... I think Texas would become Ohio State's rival. And in a world where they don't play.
2: They're I not scheduled they're, to play, are they? I, I can't they keep they track of Ohio State's future schedules. They Texas are. I think there. it's like in 2030, though, isn't it? I think they are on there. No, it's sooner than that. Um, it's in uh, 2025. Ohio State hosts Texas in okay, 2026. So they play at it. Texas. Here we go. Let's ride. So, like, like. Two years after Urban wins his first national title at Texas, Ohio State will host the Longhorns.
1: Yeah, that would be interesting. Do you (laughs) you always, like, I don't know, like what was the job that you thought he would take? Notre Dame? Like if things went south and they got rid of Brian Kelly, is that the job? Or would you think that he is separated enough in Texas to like get away from his Ohio State-ness?
2: I think Notre Dame is the only job he'd truly have a hard time saying no to. Um I don't think he'd have a terribly hard time saying no to Texas. If he's if he just doesn't think he wants to do it, um then I think it I think it's easier for him to say no. He's got a pretty good life right now. Um and I do think he does enjoy the TV things. He's pretty good at it, too. Um I don't know. I think it, like he's an employee he's an employee of Ohio State and like I just don't know Texas is not a team that plays Ohio State. They're going to play in a couple years, but it's not like it's a team he'd come up against regularly if he went to Texas. But recruiting against Ohio State after everything you've said about Ohio State seems like it's an impossible proposition.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's as impossible as you think it is. I I think you love and build the program that's on your chest and you don't talk about the other program, and that's it. You recruit to Texas. You don't recruit anti-Ohio State. I I don't know if Ohio State comes out of his mouth. You know, he built that place. So, I mean, he can recruit to anybody. You're going to play for Urban. You're not going to play for Ohio State or Texas. And, like, in the state of Texas, they don't give a shit about Ohio State. You know, I know that, like, Ohio State's had a lot of success here and they're, like, have a pipeline, but some kid who grew up in Dallas doesn't dream about being a Buckeye. You know, it's a completely different dynamic than if he were coaching in the Midwest, maybe even at Notre Dame, he'd bump heads with Ohio State even more. And maybe not. I don't know. In this real weird, crazy world of national recruiting, geography is meaning less and less in terms of who you butt heads with. If Urban's doing it right at Texas, he's recruiting against Alabama and Houston. He's not recruiting against Ohio State and, and Columbus.
2: Yeah, I don't know. If I'm a kid in Texas and Ohio State's recruiting me and I'm interested and I go to Columbus and I fall in love with everything there, and then I go to Urban and it's like all the same shit, but Ohio State is more built to win right now, I don't know. I think I that's know. I mean, if the coach
1: problem. who built it said, "I built that," then
2: no, I understand that. Of course, he'll say that. But
1: and I also don't think Texas is that far off. He's not going to take over Michigan, the program that needs four years of recruiting to get. I mean, they're the fifth most talented. He's roster a really talented roster. Right Yeah, I mean, that's they're, true. they're a lot, lot closer than you think. And I think that also the it's easier. I don't know. To me, here's the, the thing too, Bill, is that I don't know if enough time has passed for him to take a job, and I don't know if he thinks Texas is never going to come open again or USC is never going to come open again. Like he he's a young man relative to what he's portrayed as and like he could do the TV team for 3 or 4 more years and then take USC when the next coach gets fired or take Texas when the next coach gets fired. I mean, they're on 3 or 4 year uh, like if Notre Dame opened or a certain job that he's coveted since he was a kid opened and you feel like if I don't take this job now, I might never get a chance to take it again, which is how he felt when he took the Ohio State job out of the one year hiatus from Florida then maybe you're more into the idea of now or never. But I don't know that Texas or USC or any of these other jobs that he's going to continually be mentioned are, are once-in-a-lifetime opportunities that won't present themselves in three or four years. So I don't know if it's an evaluate now, see how I feel, go around this bend again in 2025 when he comes up on every other major coaching availability. But I don't know that Texas is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him right now.
2: Yeah, I don't think anything is. Like, he's, he's, he's past that. He's 56 years old. I think he can be patient. Um, Texas is everything I think that he would look for in a job. Fertile recruiting ground, tons of money, great facilities, a program that puts football up on a pedestal. Like, I, I think we had the conversation before. Like, I, Texas is way more of an attractive opportunity than USC would ever be. Um, but he doesn't have to jump at it right now because it could very well be offered to him in five years, six years. Notre Dame could be offered to him in three years, like, He can be as patient as he wants to be because he's only 56, and he'll be a desired candidate, I think, for the next decade.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, It's just a matter of, you know, I I do think that the point that you made about um, legacy and rewriting it and, you know, putting himself in a position to win at a high level and do things that, you know, put some of the things that went wrong at Ohio State in his past is an appealing thing. I think coaching with his son-in-law would be an appealing thing. I think just feeding his competitive demon inside of him is a is a, comp- and a good thing and I think he's a hell of a coach with a lot to offer so I don't know if this is going to happen and I guess anybody who acts like they do know is lying to you because unless he's having conversations with Bruce Feldman who is probably the only person I would consider listening to in this scenario because not only is he the best reporter in the world uh, in college football but he also works with the guy <laughs> so like you know he's got maybe a line into his ear that other people don't have but like the fact of the matter is, is this isn't even a discussion point. Uh, in terms of uh, – until we know for sure that Urban is, is considering it. But if he does take the job, I think that creates a very interesting dynamic, not only with Ohio State's foothold um, in uh, the Texas state, but the 2022 class and a potential rivalry that could happen. And I think that, like, you saw how quickly Ohio State fans turned on Tom Herman. I'm very curious to know how Ohio State fans would receive Urban moving forward if that were to happen.
2: Yeah. At that, it's going to be really interesting if it happens. Um, let's end on this: Is Urban Meyer going to be Texas's head coach in 2021? No, I don't think so either. I think they'll make a run at him. I think there's definitely donors who want him because why wouldn't you? But check you Twitter think, you real Tom, quick to make sure that nothing happened while we were talking. <laughs> do you think Tom Herman? Do you think Tom Herman will be Texas's coach next year? I don't. Yeah, I don't think so either.
1: I think Mario Cristobal or Matt Campbell will be.
2: Yeah, James Franklin was on Bruce's list, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Apparently, Chris Del Conte loves James Franklin. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I think James Franklin should take that job. If I were him, if I, I got offered
2: good. that job, I would take that job. Yeah, get I would out from take under it. Ohio State. Yeah, please and thank you.
1: Any team <laughs> that uh, doesn't have to play Ohio State at the end of the year to win a national championship is in a good spot. And Texas is so much closer to Oklahoma than Penn State is to Ohio State.
2: Yeah. Of course they are, yeah. yeah. From, a, from a talent standpoint, I think you can argue. I don't know why you would
1: hire James Franklin right now.
2: Yes. I don't know why question. he's
1: like a, a hot commodity. I mean, his team is one in five, and his recruiting efforts in 2020 are that of somebody who could get dismissed just because of how terrible it is. You know, and I like to overstate things a little bit, but it's a disgrace what's going on right now. So, you know, to me, I think what's interesting is that Michigan fans should have been rooting hard for Texas on Saturday because I feel like now like Matt Campbell is the golden child and if I were Matt Campbell I would take Texas over Michigan I would take Texas as any emerging head coaching job over Michigan any day right now not because I don't think Michigan is a place you can win at but it's like do you want to take the paved route or do you want to take the unpaved route yeah and get paid similarly
2: right right no I take I take Texas too I think Luke Fickle would take Texas I do I think he might why wouldn't he yeah, it's outside of the Midwest footprint, but I think it's such a good job. Like it's, <laughs> it's one of the top
1: five jobs in America. Of course, he would take that job.
2: Yeah. Who wouldn't Unless, take that job? I think the only way, if you were Luke Fickle and you thought that like Notre Dame might be open in like a year or two, because maybe like Brian Kelly goes to the NFL, would you wait that out? No. Or would you just take Texas and see what happens?
1: If Texas offered me the job, burden hand, man.
2: Yeah. He's no, got six
1: children. He's got nine mil to, a he's year got, to get. I he's mean, got mouths to feed, yeah. <laughs> he's got one million for every child he has.
2: <laughs> a year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't I don't think Herman will be there next year. I also don't think Tom Herman will be there next year. Crystal ball is interesting. Um I would I would bet that it's Campbell. But Texas has to be sure too. Like they better know they're gonna can Herman, they better they better have their guy lined up because if you can Herman and then you miss, that's uh It's going to be some trouble for the Longhorns.
1: I think there's there's a lot of... The more I think about this stuff, I think there's a lot more um, out there than we give it credit for. I I don't know that a place like Texas or a place like Michigan or any of the other places has to hire somebody who is a can't-miss candidate already. I think if you are a competent um, administration who does a, a search and can interview candidates and understand everything that needs to take place in order to, uh, you know, get the right guy. You don't have to get the, the form-fitted guy. And it's like, go get your Jim Trestle, the guy that no one really knew much about. And, you know, because Texas is in a weird spot. Texas didn't have Tom Herman waiting uh, like they did when they made their last coaching change because Herman was, like, killing it at Houston. He was in Texas. He had Texas ties. Like, Herman was a no-brainer. And I think it gets, A, super expensive for the buyouts uh, for him and his staff – and, B, not having somebody that is a natural fit right now, but I don't know that you can't find somebody who's a younger, up-and-coming coach. Like, even Sarkeesian right now. Guy's offense is incredible, and he seems to have kicked the off-the-field stuff that was going against him in terms of the alcoholism when he was over at USC. I think you give him a shot somewhere. I mean, there's a lot of candidates out there that I think might be a pretty good fit, and in terms of, like, what they're getting, it's like, the question isn't who are you going to get, it's can you do better.
2: yeah. I wonder where Sark's going to end up.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's going to end up somewhere, right?
2: USC. we Get the band back together.
1: Tennessee. <laughs> just, <laughs> just recycle Tennessee and USC coaches.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll wrap up there. So the Big Ten's on fire, and we don't know what's going to happen. But Ohio State, as it stands now on 1135 Monday morning as we're wrapping this up, uh, is hoping it can play at Michigan State on Saturday. We'll keep you updated on that as Ohio State releases more information. Uh, keep an eye on what's going on with Michigan try not to freak out too much and i think the point remains that if ohio state can play six games which i don't know if it's going to happen but if they can play six games i think you and i both think they're going to get into the playoff but the conversation is not over this is this is our life now this is what we'll be talking about for the next few weeks as we try to see if the big 10 can finish its season
1: crazy times man crazy times
2: strapping we'll talk to you guys later in a week thanks for listening